We are indeed in 1 Peter chapter 2. We're going to finish our month-long series talking about how God is leading us to be disciple-making disciples in a church-planting church. And we've talked a lot about discipleship. What is that and what does it look like? And a disciple is simply someone who is born again. They've come to faith in Christ. They're now joined to Christ. They're united with him. And that's where we find our identity and our power and our strength to live this Christian life. And then by the mercies of God, Romans 12 says, we set about fulfilling the great commandments and the great commission to love God, to love each other, to love the lost. And it's that last element on this last Sunday, loving the lost that we're going to talk about today, outreach, mission, evangelism. Now, Julie is right. The quickest way to raise the blood pressure in a room of Christians is to talk about evangelism. It's to talk about the thing that we most feel that we are failing in in the Christian life to take this precious news of the gospel to share it with somebody else. That does give us sweaty palms and that's okay because we've all admitted that together. And so we're going to take a deep breath and we're going to rub out those palms on our pants and we're going to look at God's word and he's going to speak to us and then we're going to respond to him in prayer and then he's going to lead us together in fits and starts to do this great and important work, the Great Commission. So I'm going to read for us from 1 Peter chapter 2, beginning in verse 9. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would take real fear and real anxiety about evangelism and that you would speak to us, just as Julie said, in a way that you meet us right where we are in our spiritual gifts and our personality and our past, and you show us the way in your kingdom. You can do this through your spirit, and so we ask in Jesus' name, amen. Well, it's beautiful that we began the series with Peter himself coming to faith in Luke chapter 5, and now we've come full circle, and we end with that same apostle Peter telling us that we turn around and share this gospel with others. This is my most favorite description of evangelism in all scripture. Verse 9, proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Proclaim excellencies. What a beautiful phrase. Now, if you have been around evangelism before and you've done evangelism before, you might have a preferred method that you use. You might be a bridge illustration kind of guy. You might be a one-verse method kind of girl. You might be into the Romans road. But whatever our method is, I pray what shines through are the excellencies of Jesus. But to share the excellencies, to proclaim the excellencies, to expose others to the excellencies, there must be a sense in which I myself am enjoying, savoring 
these excellencies of Jesus. We said at the beginning of our series that evangelism has been rightly called one beggar showing another beggar where to find bread. And I love that illustration. That's beautiful. But we asked, what if beggar number one isn't enjoying the bread for himself? What if beggar number one hasn't found so much that is excellent about Jesus, but is settling for what's okay about Jesus, and that's what she's out there sharing with other people? I mean, come and join my religion, where Jesus will forgive you for your sins, and then he'll kind of disappear until heaven, and then you'll spend your life as a Christian in indentured servitude, working towards a debt you can't possibly repay. Come and join us. It's fun. We'd love to have you. At least the coffee is good. Now, none of us are out there saying that literally, I hope. None of us are saying it in quite that way. But if we are feeling that, if we are feeling our relationship with Jesus is more shame and guilt than excellencies and praise, I promise you that will come out some way, somehow, with our neighbors. Our neighbors, our coworkers, they are more intuitive than we give them credit for. They're veritable sleuths. They can figure things out about us. I bet our neighbors know who our favorite college football team is. I bet they figured that out. And I bet they know where we stand politically. I bet they've sized us up and they know that too. I bet they even know whether we eat gluten or not. Like, they're not dumb. They can figure these things out. And if they figured all this out about us, I bet they could tell us if we are really caring about the irrepressible excellencies of an eternal Jesus that we treasure above all else. If we have it, I bet they've seen it. And if we don't have it, I bet they haven't noticed. So Christian, I ask you, Is Jesus growing more excellent, more precious, and more beautiful to you day by day by day? That is the chief end of humanity, to see and savor and celebrate Jesus. Is that really happening in my life? The best thing you and I can do for evangelism is to leave here this afternoon, wake up tomorrow morning, crack open our Bibles, pray that God will open our eyes, and through the power of the Holy Spirit, spend time in the excellencies of Jesus. They are everywhere. They are a trail of treasures in this Bible leading us upward and onward into our precious union and communion with Jesus. We could spend an entire afternoon just in our passage savoring what Jesus has done. He's calling us a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. That description of you in Christ today is the exact same description God gave the people of Israel when he brought them out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. What he called them, he calls us. This is something to be savored about in Jesus. There are excellencies here. There is a world of wonder here. There are things in our Bibles to pour over and experience in Jesus. But above all, 
These are not just things that we learn and things that we write down, although we do that. These are things to enjoy here and now in the presence of the resurrected Jesus who is in this room with us even now. I know I throw around platitudes of religion for a living as a pastor and sometimes I'm caught in the reality of what I'm saying. Like one night when I put my boys down to bed and I said, let's pray, God is here, he hears us and Noah says, wait a minute, God is in my bedroom right now and when he said that, I got goosebumps on my arms. He is. Jesus is here. He is reigning here. He has met with us in a special way because two or three are gathered in his name. He is here in our midst to be enjoyed. And the greatest thing we can do for evangelism is the greatest thing we can do as a human being is the greatest end for which God has created the universe. And that is to see and to savor the Jesus who is here. Believer, enjoy him, treasure him, value him. If those excellencies are here and if we are enjoying them, they are meant to be shared. They're not for you alone, not for me alone. They're meant to be shared. I was reminded of an obscure story in the Old Testament, 2 Kings chapter 7, a wild story where the city of Samaria is under siege by the Syrians and they are literally starving inside the city because they can't break out, they can't get food, they can't get access to anything. And God creates this incredible victory where overnight, unbeknownst to the city, he causes all the Syrians to flee their camp and all that's left is their tents, but no people. And these four men who aren't allowed in the city because they have leprosy are outside the city and they wake up that morning and they say, you know what, we're gonna die of hunger anyway. Let's just go to the Syrian camp and ask them for mercy and see what happens. And they walk into the camp and no one's there and they start eating the food and drinking the wine and dressing up in the new garments and enjoying just the incredible wealth that is there in the camp. And once they've had all of this stuff to enjoy, they say to each other, wait a minute, there's a city that's starving and they don't know this good news. Woe to us if we don't share it. Believer, I hope you have first come into the camp and enjoyed the wealth that is there. And I hope as you enjoy it, you say, wait a minute. There is a city who does not know this good news. I must go and tell them. Now in this passage, it highlights word sharing and deed sharing. Both of those things are here. Both of those are to be employed in God's kingdom. First of all, there's deed sharing in verse 12. Listen to this. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Peter's not that creative. He heard Jesus say that in the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus says in Matthew 5, 16, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Uh Uh-oh. I thought I could just talk about evangelism. I have to do evangelism, which means some things need to change in my character and my presence in my neighborhood. The reason I didn't put a Christian bumper sticker on my car is because I struggle with road rage and I want to cut somebody off and let them know how I feel and get away with it. 
But all of a sudden, Peter is saying, I can't be a jerk in my workplace and I can't be a recluse in my neighborhood and then hustle some word evangelism on the side because these things are integrated with each other and my deeds and my words work together to proclaim this good news and I can't proclaim the excellencies of him who called me out of darkness into his marvelous light if I'm spending all my time in the neighborhood still in darkness. God must bring this inside of me, changing me from the inside out in fits and starts so that my life will be a witness to my neighborhood. So I'll do deed sharing, but I'll also do word sharing. Verse 9, proclaiming excellencies. St. Francis of Assisi is reportedly said, uh, preach the gospel and if necessary, use words. You've heard that. And Peter is saying, it is necessary, use words. It is always necessary. No one can be saved simply through your actions and your good deeds. That might spell legalism to them. They must be saved by the word, the good word of the gospel. But I wonder if we're so reluctant to proclaim the gospel and preach the gospel because we've been led to believe that unless I can share the entire gospel, I'm not really doing evangelism. Unless I have that glorious moment where I can sit down with somebody and walk them through the bridge illustration or some kind of illustration to show the gospel. If I can't do all of it, I'm not really doing any of it. And I would say to you, actually, it begins with excellencies. It starts with everyday ways of speaking beautiful truths of Christ before others without being annoying. That's evangelism. Finding a way to take an excellency that I treasure and speak it before another person without being obnoxious about it. Just being normal. That's evangelism. So, for example, I'm going to go into work or I'm going to go into class Monday morning and someone is going to ask me, how was your weekend? And I have three options. I have the no excellency option and I say, it was fine, how was yours? There's nothing excellent about that. There's the annoying option. I just heard a sermon on evangelism. I'm ready to get started in this. Somebody says, how was your weekend? I say, forget about that. Let me talk about your soul. God is a perfect God. You're a sinner and you need his grace. You've lost a friend. (laughs) Number three, the excellency option. You know, I got a project due today and I'm terrified. Actually, I struggle with anxiety. And so I'm really going to God in prayer about this and he's meeting me and walking with me, and I don't feel totally ready, but I know his grace is sufficient. Wow. Your God cares about your project that you're doing today, and he moves towards anxiety and not away from anxiety because he's ashamed of the person that you have become. That has planted a seed in this person's heart because it is an excellency. It's something that you clearly enjoy that they don't have and they would love to enjoy as well. I think 90%, maybe 95% of our evangelism are planting seeds of excellencies that I have enjoyed, that I'm sharing with you before I ever get a chance to preach this full and entire and glorious gospel. May God give us opportunities to do that. So we're enjoying excellencies and now we're proclaiming excellencies in word and deed. Let's talk about next steps. Let's let's get real practical. Where do I go from here, especially if I think evangelism is a weakness? What, What do I do about that? 
You know, it used to be in the early years of our church that when you joined Cola Prez and you stood up here like our member, new members are going to do on November 21st, you would answer the questions, we would welcome you into our fellowship, and then we would hand every member a book on evangelism. And that would spell to you, we are dead serious about evangelism. Here's a book, read it and do it. And then I remembered that a while ago, I was talking to a friend of mine, it was a college roommate, and we were sharing stories on when our parents first brought up the birds and the bees to us, and how awkward and traumatic that was. And one of my friends said that his dad was terrified to say anything, so he bought a book on the subject, and when my friend got home from school that day, the book was just sitting on his bed. And my friend picked up the book and flipped through it and said, I don't want anything to do with this. And so he put it on his dad's bed and they never spoke of it again. <laughs> that was it. And that was sad but true. And then I was like, oh my goodness, I am that dad putting books of evangelism on members' beds. So we don't do that anymore. Actually, Devin, if you'll hold it up, I have a stack of unused books on evangelism that I'll get to in a moment we got to get real practical with discipling our people to do evangelism. So I'm going to give us three steps that we can begin as a church to move towards what God is calling us to. Number one, step one, preach on evangelism. Wherever we find these great commission texts like 1 Peter chapter 2, we preach boldly, winsomely, filled with the Spirit, based on the Word, and trust that when God's Word goes out, it's not going to return to Him void. We preach on evangelism because we trust that something is happening here that God's Spirit takes His Word to celebrate His Son, and under the preached Word, we are changed and we are moved and we are motivated to do this. So we're doing step one of being a missional evangelistic church. Number one, we preach on evangelism. Number two, we train for evangelism. If I don't have the slightest clue how to walk out of this room and do evangelism, the best thing I can do for myself and my church is to pull someone aside and say, I don't have the slightest clue how to walk out of here and do evangelism. Because all of us already know that. We've been watching you. It's awkward. It's painful to see. And that first step of saying, wait a minute, I don't have the tools and resources. I don't know what to do. That's a great place to start. And if you're there... There are informal ways and there are formal ways to train in evangelism. So informally, one of the greatest resources in my life has been to find evangelists that I watch and see and respect and buy them a cup of coffee and say, how do you do that? How do you start a conversation? How do you carry on a relationship? What happens when you get to that awkward middle section? You've said a few things and they're not interested. Where do you go from there? That's been incredible to me. So I want to ask you, church, this is weird, but I want to ask those who have the gift of evangelism to please stand. And most people don't think that they have that gift. So if you find yourself maybe at least in a monthly conversation with an unbeliever about Jesus, would you please stand? Devin, come on. Thank you, Will. Ty, get up. Vaughn, Joni, come on, y'all. Yep, don't be shy. Who else needs to be? Chris, what about you? I know you're in your neighborhood. Ashley, I know you're there too. 
Morgans, come on, y'all. You guys have taught us hospitality evangelism. Get up. Who else? Look around the room. Mike, oh, you got a sleeping child. Um, Mike, too, seating in his place. Look around the room. Thank you, guys. You can sit down. These are folks to grab a cup of coffee with and say, what does that look like? That's an informal avenue. A formal avenue will be our growth groups. They start every single semester. As Julie testified, Daniel has a growth group on evangelism. It was all women this semester. Brothers, what is the problem with stepping into a room and saying, I have no idea what to do, and I'm going to ask for directions? Please sign up for the spring evangelism class. Another formal way is to get a book on evangelism. I've got a stack of them. And you can have them, but the cost of this book is to meet with Mike after you're done reading it. Mike Ruiz, raise your hand. He helps oversee our evangelism and our outreach. And just tell Mike what you learned and what God is doing in your heart. So come and grab a copy of this book and reach out to Mike a month from now and tell him what the Lord is doing in you. So those are, those are ways to train in evangelism. So you got preaching on evangelism, training for evangelism. Lastly, We want, as a church, to provide avenues for evangelism. You'll notice in this entire series and the entire structure of the church that we keep things simple. This is not a complex church. We don't do multifaceted ministries. We don't have a handbell choir. We don't even do VBS. We don't put on concerts. We do very little, and that's very intentional. All those things can be good, and all those things can be wonderful. No offense to handbell choir members in this room. But... Do we have space to grow in worship, to grow in community, and grow in outreach? If I'm running ragged volunteering at the church, do I have time to crack open my Bible? Do I have time to practice hospitality? Do I have time to do outreach in my community? And if I don't, we're doing something wrong as a church. So every member is finding avenues to do each of those things And we encourage a member, before you sign up for a second or third or fourth growth group in Bible study, are you doing outreach? Are you doing each of these things because that's the great commandments and the great commission? Some of us already have avenues for evangelism. We work in a place, we go to school in a place, we live in a neighborhood where we have those kind of relationships. Praise God, if you want training, come get it. If you don't need it, let us cheer you on. That's awesome. Don't leave what you're doing to come do what we're doing. But if you don't have those avenues, we can provide those for you. If you say, man, I just don't find myself around a lot of unbelievers and I'd like to be, then we have ministries we partner with that will help plug you in with relationships. Actually, starting next week and for the entire month of November, the deacons are going to share all the mercy evangelism elements that they're doing that you will enter November prayerfully saying, Lord, if I don't have opportunities, what are you calling me to? What, what is a, a way I could jump in and begin to do evangelism? So those are really practical. Preach on this, train on this, find a venue for this. But I challenge you, believer, and especially if you're a member of this church, to take stock of your life and say, where do I need help? Is it motivation to do this? Is it training to know how to do this? Is it venues on where to do this? And would you even share that with somebody at lunch to say, this is the next thing that that God is leading me into to begin to grow towards the Great Commission? Share that with each other. And may God make us a Great Commission church here and around the world. And by that we mean, may this be a body 
that savors the excellencies of Jesus, that experiences the excellencies of Jesus, that is full to overflowing with the excellencies of Jesus so that we will eagerly proclaim those excellencies to a waiting and a watching world. Let's pray together. Lord, move in our body in a miraculous way to do something terrifying. It was terrifying to 11 disciples sitting in the upper room. It was terrifying to 120 disciples in that same hostile city that crucified Jesus. It has always been a terrifying prospect to step out and risk offending another person. But as you grow these excellencies within us, We can't help but proclaim them in word and deed in our neighborhood and school and workplaces. Light a fire under us by your Holy Spirit and do this work we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.